Hello, everyone. This is Aspet Bedrosian. And this is Hovik Manucharyan. And we're talking with Gevis Kajian on the latest conditions and events during the Artsakh blockade. Gev is with the ANC in Artsakh, nagorno karabakh and he lives in Stepanagerd. Today is July 19th, 2023. This is the 219th day of the Artsakh blockade. Good evening, Gev. How are you doing? Hi, Gev. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm good, all things considered. Good to be on. Gev, we have, I mean, nothing in terms of the evil that has surrounded Artsakh has changed, in my opinion. But I think we should just do check-in in terms of, you know, there is this continuing Azari aggression we hear about shootings. We hear about uh, farmers being prevented to work because, you know, all the all this time, anytime someone tries to do some work on the fields, they get shot at. And obviously, it has been more than a month that basically complete stealing off of Artsakh from the world in terms of humanitarian supplies, in terms of any kind of supplies, even Red Cross is not able to come in and out. And we're seeing, obviously, anyone who's probably listening to this has probably seen the pictures of empty store shelves, people on the streets, you know, in huge queues. But, you know, tell us your own, with your own eyes and with your own mouth what you're seeing. What is the level of hardship? How is, the, how is it affecting the determination of people to sort of struggle uh, with this? I mean, the, the obvious goal by the Azerbaijani fascist regime is to break that will. To be honest, it's uh, you know I, I'm not sure how long the government in our in Artsakh can uh, keep on going with you know being completely sealed off. But tell us what you're seeing. Look, everyone's aware of the fact that the blockade is getting more dire by the day. The circumstances on the ground are getting more dire by the day. The supplies here are finite, so um, as things dwindle down, the you know, effects on every layer of society become more pronounced. I think that, uh, like, everything kind of plays into each other. Um, so we know about the food rationing, we know about the lack of supplies and all that stuff. But I think one of the things that is uh, least talked about that has a really draining effect on the society here, on, on just how we function and everything else, is the fact that... Uh, we have no gasoline here. So let's say there is some, you know, scarce amount of food, some crops that are being harvested in places that aren't getting shot up, as you, you know, previously mentioned. To get that from the villages to the city where, you know, I would say 60, 70 percent of the population lives, it is becoming incredibly hard now. Um, so the little supplies that we have, it's really difficult to get up to different places to meet those needs. On top of that, you guys know uh, so many businesses have been shut down. For the small amount of businesses that are open, for people to get to their jobs, it's becoming almost impossible now. Before, we we had so little fuel that they stopped giving them to the you know vehicles. So if you drive a car, you, you're not really going to get access to benzene. You're not going to get access to fuel. And your reliance was on public transportation. Now, uh, there's like one or two public transportation lines that are functioning once or twice a day maximum. And that's going to get shortened down to maybe zero. And then you're talking about if you guys have seen those like long use for those lines for bread it's not necessarily that we have a even though that that's dwindling the problem yet is not like the lack of flour it's the fact that we can't get that bread from the bakeries from the villages to the rest of the population because of the fact that we have so little fuel so all of these things become compounded on top of all the other things that you guys know about 
And this is during summer, the easy part of the year. Yeah, yeah. I would just yeah. like sort of, I would get very stressed just not knowing if I'm living in a remote area, what happens if there's an uh, attack or what happens if uh, I need to go to an emergency room and not being able to go there. Um, that is just that by itself is really discomforting. But I guess that's a first world problem when compared to everything else that's going on. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I, we, we try to keep our language a little bit clean on these podcasts, but it's really difficult nowadays. Um, but I want to go to this next topic that I want to talk about, which is the recent meeting between Aliyev Pashinyan and Charles Michel in Brussels. You know, we saw the statement from Charles Michel, and it is really disgusting for me to hear when Charles Michel basically, through the words of the uh, leader of the European Council, of the leader of Europe, says that there's an equal sign between Ardam and Lachin and or Berzor or Kashatak corridor. Charles Michel basically effectively welcomed that the tormentor of Artsakh, who has sealed off the entire area from the world, says now, you know, hey, you know, if you really want supplies, you can, you know, I can give it to you. Uh, and obviously, I think that we, we only talked about humanitarian supplies, but uh, some offers like that have also been made about gas and electricity. And it's all about essentially sealing off Artsakh from Armenia and erasing any ability for the Artsakh people to be independent. Uh, I don't know, Giv, what are you, what's going through my, through your mind? Any analogies like you, you can make that make sense about this, you know? Uh, have you seen anything like this in the world where the tormentor gets appeased and gets rewarded for their actions? No, absolutely not. And look, it, it makes you, what I'm questioning, um, and I don't believe they're this stupid. I think, you know, the EU is a massive global superpower. Uh, when you hear things like, Azerbaijan is offering the Akhdam Road to help send humanitarian aid for a humanitarian crisis they say does not exist. At the same time, it's a humanitarian crisis that they've caused. Uh, there's so many, like, if we talk about, like, the field of journalism, any uh, journalist with an, a semi-objective mind that looks at the situation would say this is, like, absolutely preposterous. The hypocrisy here is insane. The fact that they're making a laughing stock of people's just logical abilities, the most like kindergarten level comprehension skills would tell any global power that uh, this is absurd, right? Um, and then when you get somebody like Charles Michel to, to get up and say that, you know, these are the ways that Azerbaijan is willing to alleviate this crisis, that's even more absurd. And then you you have the the so-called leader of the Armenian nation who just stands there and can't do anything about this, who, who isn't even making statements on, on this front. All of that is crazy to me. Uh, and the, the funniest part of all this, and it's not funny, it's morbid, uh, but uh, Artsakh isn't asking for anybody's humanitarian aid. Artsakh is definitely not asking for Azerbaijan's aid. All we're asking is give us a direct link to the road. Give us what we had previously and we can take care of ourselves. The fact that they're making this to be out like this hyper complex situation where both sides are trying to come to a solution is absolutely insane uh, to me. But if we're really talking here, we know that the EU understands what's going on. It's a testament to their cowardice, one for all of the interest that they have in Azerbaijan, that they can't outright call this what it is, which is, 
human rights. Uh, well, it's driven crime. by complete self-interest. They're they're trying yeah, to yeah, solve their course. own problems. They're not trying to create yeah. peace. They're not trying to solve Armenia's or yeah. Artsakh's problems. They're solving their own problems. And at the same time, they are taking this like podium to talk about like European values, how terrible of a dictator Putin is, all these crimes that all these other nations around the world are, you know, committing. Yet at the same time, they are complicit in one of the greatest like human rights violations of our time today. Uh, Absolutely. As we see. And complicit is the right word. But you did catch me, Gav, in making this, I think, logical mistake that when people, a lot of people do, which is, you know, this would only be possible if Armenia, if Pashinyan recognized Artsakh as part of Azerbaijan, which she has. And unfortunately, we do not do enough criticism of our own leaders, even though, you know, we, we try to sort of, I think we reason about it that, you know, they're powerless and we, but even if an outsider has more power, they won't use it to, you know, uh, when, when the primary responsibility is for the Republic of Armenia to safeguard Artsakh. I'm out of words. I mean, I, you know, I, I called Pashinyan trader every day, but obviously that's, that also is, it loses its value. What do you think that, you know, we, we can do besides just lamenting about this? I, for instance, one of the criticisms that I've seen where there's this national movement that was launched on July 14th, and we can go into that. Everyone in Artsakh basically went to the streets. They criticized everyone equally. Now, there was uh, the sister, I guess, movement in Armenia, where they were also protesting in different locations. They protested in front of the UN. They protested in front of the Russian embassy. I'm pretty sure other embassies, but they never stopped in front of the residence or the office of the prime minister of Armenia. So is there anything else that can be done directly blaming, directly calling out that the main problem I, I see is that the main responsible party, is Armenia, is not doing its part. Look, uh, if I can be as blunt as possible about this, you guys know my opinions on this. Uh, absolutely, I think that Pashinyan has, in one way or another, betrayed his nation. Um, but, unfortunately, and, and uh, people can say I'm wrong or whatever, but, but from what I see right now, if one is a traitor... Um, a nation uh, is supposed to react appropriately to that, right? And I've put less blame today on Pashinyan because I know what he is than on the general populace. And I'm sorry for my frustration uh, of Armenia to let somebody get away with uh, as much as Pashinyan has gotten away with speaks to, uh, you know, the core of our issue which I think is, is beyond Pashinyan. It's this total lack of apathy. It is this total disconnection with our history, uh, our, you know, even a notion of self-preservation as a people. These are really, really deep problems, and, and they go beyond even the situation in Artsakh. If this is the road that our people are going to go down, if this is the type of apathy they are going to respond with, as we, we've lost 30% of our nation, uh, 70% of Artsakh, and uh, if things go the same way they go, we're going to lose more. And to see the Armenian people lackadaisically getting along with their day, obviously this isn't everyone. There are people day and night that are fighting tooth and nail for Artsakh, for their people. But at some point we have to shift the blame beyond the traitor that we know to the populace that is kind of just letting it happen.
Well, it does appear that Armenia's leadership has adopted a path of self-interest which no longer includes Artsakh in the Armenian nation. But I don't think that this current government has made that definition. Instead, I think that since they lost the 44-day war, their agenda is handed out to them from external actors like Turkey and Azerbaijan. Meanwhile, the so-called independent mediators are trying to get the most for themselves from the current geopolitical movement. Gev, can you say what is the message of this new national movement? What are its goals? What is Gurgen Nersisyan trying to achieve with this initiative? Look, I'm, I'm going to be incredibly blunt and incredibly honest here. This movement, and there are parts of this movement that started way before Gurgen Nersisyan. He kind of, you know, jumped on it as things got uh, worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these movements are not done by governments. They are done by the people. So the people that yesterday went and put a concrete barrier in front of Ahdam, to me, that's the movement. The movement is not Arai Karutunyan, who should be, you know, the commander in chief of a wartime nation, which is Artsakh, sitting in a tent. It's not Burgen Nersesyan getting up and speaking to crowds when he should be uh, leading this country and pushing for with the Russian peacekeepers and through every other method, a solution to this problem. This movement is real. This movement is led by the people. And if the government of Artsakh itself is not up to the task to lead this movement, this movement will also take them out as well, uh, out of the picture in terms of running this nation. I don't like the imagery of Mm -hmm. Arai Karutunyan being the leader of a nation, setting up a tent in front of his own parliament. Uh, I don't think that one is going to result in in anything drastic. And at the same time, we have some of these leaders who are scared to, they'll allude to the Armenian government, but are scared to come out and say, uh, Pashinyan has said this, this, and this, and therefore he does not represent us. On any stage he goes to, in any meeting, in any capital, that he is at, he does not represent the people. I could not agree with you more. I don't understand why they're not out there screaming from rooftops, telling Pashinyan to stop talking for Artsakh. He has absolutely nothing to say about Artsakh. Maybe maybe it's because he was uh, there on the night of June 21, 2021, congratulating Nicole for his re-election. Yeah, look, there's, you know, I'm at a point where I'm just completely blunt uh, about everything because I genuinely feel like we're at a critical juncture. So there is this part of statecraft that we have to keep in mind that Artsakh would not be able to sustain itself with the situation that it's in without funding from the Armenian government. So there are those like sensitivities that these guys have. But at this stage, if you don't outright reject Pashinyan, Let's say he can fund your government for a few months until the Azeris completely ethnically cleanse you. Uh, You're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. So right now we're at a juncture where we have to completely cut it out. And if the Armenian government decides that because the people of Artsakh, the representatives of Artsakh, don't deserve the resources to be able to get by and live because they're being critical, that's another story that we have to, as a collective people, address. But I think we're at that point now. Yeah, I mean, and I agree. And if uh, we're getting to the end, but uh, if funding is being used or is going to be used to threaten the Armenians even more, this time from the side of the Republic of Armenia, then, I mean, I don't know what I could say. I bet Aliyev would say, you know, he can fund uh, Artsakh better if we, if the people of Artsakh only accepted uh, Azerbaijani citizenship. So um, I know it's difficult. So I think, you know, I think it's important to be mindful of that. But yes, the, 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 
people raise that argument. And to those people, I would say that that's not an argument at all. Just like, you know, the Armenian government shouldn't tell the people of uh, Gerar Kunik that, hey, no, you should, you should be grateful that I'm funding you or else, you know, you would become blockaded by Azerbaijan. I think that any t- any discussion like that should be nipped in the bud using the arguments that I just made anyway. All right. Let's be done for today. Guys, yeah, I, I, although this is about Artsakh, but in Armenia, uh, there is a high effort. So I would suggest if you're a citizen of Armenia, if you know anyone who is a citizen of Armenia, try to reach out to people on your social network and get people to sign the Hayakve signatures so that at least it's another form of pressure in Armenia itself against uh, the Trezina's handing over of Artsakh to uh, Azerbaijan. Hovig, where are they at with those signatures? Last I heard, over 25,000. I mean, yeah. So they have uh, several more weeks to go, I think four more or five more weeks. But, you know, I have no question in my mind that they would reach the 50,000 signatures required. But I think that, you know, they need to reach it tomorrow. They need to reach it. Yeah. Uh, the fact that, you know, it's still at 25,000, it just speaks about the same sort of apathy that we're seeing everywhere else. To be honest, yes, it requires the efforts of everyone. It's, it's difficult to not do this, but, you know, just think about the next time you're having a coffee, think about uh, the fact that people in North South can't even get bread, you know? So yeah. if it takes you 10 minutes a day, just contact your friends, tell people to sign the Hayak there. That's all. All right. Gev, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you, Gev. We'll